Welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. My name is Karina Machado and I'm the author of Spirit Sisters, Women's True Stories of the Paranormal. In this podcast, I'll revisit the women behind my most unforgettable stories and unearth new tales to chill, intrigue, astound and offer hope. You'll hear first-hand accounts of ghostly visitors, near-death experiences, premonitions, hauntings and love more powerful than death. Whatever you believe about the afterlife, I invite you to open your minds and hearts as ordinary women reveal their extraordinary encounters. Welcome to another episode of the Spirit Sisters podcast. This week, I have the second part of my interview with Faith, an Australian woman who had an extensive near-death experience after falling critically ill with an infection of the aortic valve, which led to open-heart surgery and a medically-induced coma. In our first conversation, Faith shared details of her NDE, which featured both beautiful and negative aspects. The International Association of Near-Death Studies, known as IANS, cites research on their website, ians.org, that the so-called distressing NDE featuring hellish and demonic imagery such as faith experienced is actually the rarest kind of NDE reported. Some believe that a reason for that could be that the experiencer just simply finds it too upsetting to talk about. But in Faith's case, she's finding affirmation and solace in sharing her story, especially with healthcare professionals, as she tells me in this interview. This hour, Faith also dives into the harrowing journey of reclaiming her life back from drugs, violence and the underworld after coming back from her NDE. If you haven't listened to part one, you might want to do that first. Just click on the episode below this one on the Spirit Sisters podcast. Either way, I encourage you to stick around to the end of this episode when Faith lets us in on the secret of a fulfilled life right here, right now on earth, which happens to be what she calls the key to getting into heaven as well. What she reveals may surprise you. Before I present part two of Faith's riveting story, I'd like to point out that the Sydney chapter of IANS, the International Association of Near-Death Studies, has launched and holds monthly gatherings for NDEers and people who are interested in NDEs and related phenomena. If you'd like more information about that, please visit the IANS Sydney Facebook page or contact me on my website, karinamachado.com. And before I begin part two of my conversation with Faith, please note that her story references sexual abuse. If this causes you distress, please call Lifeline in Australia on 13 11 14. Now to the episode. Welcome, Faith, to part two of our conversation on the Spirit Sisters podcast. It is so lovely to have you back with us. Thank you for having me back, Karina. It's lovely to have you. Now, In the last episode, we spoke about your incredibly beautiful and also frightening NDE. Yes. Before we go into the effects of that NDE and what happened when you woke up from your coma, I just wanted to recap for the the listener, sorry, um, what you experienced over there, which was an astounding experience that included uh, singing flowers, crystal waters in which children played. There were colours that we do not even have in our earthly palette. There was a feast, there was a library, there was so much. So I just thought before we go into what happened next, Faith, I might ask you, if you think back to your NDE now, what is it that most stands out to you that has most stayed in your memory from that extraordinary experience? I think the the one thing that Um, has never left me is that I was there before it was like I was going home it was a place where I knew everybody and they knew me Um, and it's a place I knew my soul had been before and I was returning so heaven is home for all of us we've all we've been there before I was shown that we choose our lives I knew who I was going to be before I was born and I knew what I was going to experience and I knew this up in heaven and it was like my memory came back and I was I was coming home. Mm. And home is 
the most glorious place you can ever imagine. I mean, it is the beauty. It's the beauty of God's creation. How do I describe the beauty? Um, I can't even put it into words, yes. Karina. It's oh, that magical, yeah. that beautiful, that life, so much life there. Oh, wow. So much life. I mean, even with the animals, it, it, it was all my pets being there. But in saying that, when I was shown after my – when I was shown what happened with my child that I terminated, I aborted, I was shown the angels taking the soul up to heaven and then God let me – have a look at the nursery in heaven. And that's when I saw the crystal gorgeous, beautiful water and children swimming in it and children all different ages, um, some wearing overalls, some wearing older style clothing. Okay. Um, a lot of wise, what I, I would call saints, um, taking care of the children and a lot of um, angels taking care of the children in this huge nursery. And God was showing me this, I think, because he wanted me to know that these are unborn souls that want to be born and um, also giving me a little insight to where my daughter is, you yeah. know. So I got to see that. I got to see the children jumping on animals like big giant tigers, animals and lions that are on this earth that would probably attack us not in heaven. You can you can ride on their back. Like it was just I got a glimpse into the I, I call it the nursery in heaven, but the streams of water. Um, the it was crystal clear. It's like when the children would go for a swim, they'd jump out and they'd be dry instantly. Yeah, it was pretty. That was pretty special. That sounds amazing, Faith. It's no surprise to me that, you know, you struggle to find the words to describe the indescribable because, oh, you know, I've spoken to other NDEs and I've read many, many accounts and I think to a person they all say that. They say it is an ineffable experience. That is, there are no words here in our language to actually convey the the beauty of what's over there. And the other thing... It's, oh, sorry, go on, Faith. No, it's perfection. Perfection. That, that's yeah. the only way you can... Everything is perfect. Everything. The other interesting point I just want to pick on, pick up on um, following what you just said about the lions and the tigers and the, the little children tumbling around with them, I've actually heard that before. In Spirit Sisters, I interviewed a lady who had an NDE in a car accident and she described almost the exact same scene. Oh, really? Yeah, she said she saw a lion that was beautiful and oh, magnificent. peaceful. Magnificent is a good word. And all the little children just playing with its mane and tumbling around yes. with it. So that's a really interesting thing that you've you've seen that too. Um, okay, well that is that's great uh, a great recap for our listeners. You also described faith different levels of heaven, and I wondered yeah. if you could expand on this a little about what that means and what level you think you were in. I was on one of the lower levels, but not quite. The lowest, how I describe it is the level I was on, I still had a lot to learn and a lot more wisdom. I, I wouldn't say the word to get more holy. I had There was a lot more knowledge I needed to learn before I could go up to that level. Okay. And I guess the holier you are in Catholic terms, but it doesn't necessarily mean holy. How do I describe it? You sort of work your way up. Take time to get there, but each level there's more rewards for you, more incentives, but, um, and you get more grace. I guess that's the word mm. I'm looking for. More graces, the more levels you go up. Mm. But I, I was at a level where I, I needed to be and um, I had a lot to learn and I knew that. I knew that. I had a lot to learn. Even though, like I said, the amount of knowledge that you receive it's like you're a genius all mm. of a sudden, uh, but I still, there was still so much I mm. needed to learn. And um, so I, I was aware that there was different levels and I was going to get there and that's all, what we all aim for. Okay. Um, I don't know how, because I was talking to somebody about it recently, I don't know how to describe it 
because it's not really incentive uh, based because you're so happy where you are anyway. You have needs. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yes, but I do. It, I do. So it's not materialistic incent- yes. incentiveness. I, I guess it's um, getting closer to God. It's the way. Yeah. You, each level brings you even closer and closer to God. To God. Okay. And um, I, I was on a level where... I was on a level where I still had a lot to learn to, to get that closeness with God. Okay. And I think it's really interesting about the levels because what do you think of this faith? Do you think it could be that consciousness never ends? So we're, you know, so the level of consciousness perhaps, this, this is something that's just popped into my mind, the level of consciousness that we have here on earth will dictate what our experience of heaven or the afterlife is and perhaps that's why there are so many different levels because we're all at different stages of our evolution in our consciousness and could it be faith that you had those hellish elements you saw that hellish experience because in a sense you were living a kind of hell on earth prior to your NDE so you know when you when you crossed over that continued what do you think is that a possibility I've never really thought of it like that. Um, I feel the negativity, um, the evil. Uh, well, I don't. Uh, I was talking to Howard Storm about this actually the other day because I I needed to try and get some understanding of why I was tortured by these particular demons and how I knew they had been with me all my life, and he he just straight out said. They were in you. They were a part of you. You, these, you were demonically possessed, um, and it made sense also when he explained it to me. That's why they were with me all my life, causing havoc in my life. I allowed them to be in me. I allowed that negativity inside me. So they owned me. They pretty much were destroying the faith, the good in me, which yeah. was like when I was falling into hell, and mm. I could see the light of God leaving me. How. Howard described it was the Holy Spirit leaving me. So I was anything that was of God was being taken from me because these demons were just ravishing me. And that's why I was having that battle trying to get the words out, I'm sorry, God, I love you. And the words Satan, I love you would come out because that was that evil that was attached to me and attached to my soul. And I, what I do know is if I didn't scream out to God, I would be there. I knew it was forever and mm. I knew I was going to become one of them. That evil that was attached to me, I guess you could say, possessed, that evil had my soul and um, destroyed it mm. and I allowed that to happen because no, it's that, so difficult to put it in words. That's that's absolutely fine, Faith. I mean, I, as I said earlier, I, that is understandable because you're trying to translate. Yeah, I'm still the, trying to yeah. work it out myself. Yeah, like, of course. What is it? And it explained a lot, especially um, leading up into my surgery. I was such a selfish, self-centered person. Um, I had I was completely disconnected. I had no understanding of what was actually happening to me. And it, it, I wondered about that because the second time after my relapse, I, was, I didn't have drugs in my system during this time, but I was a very evil person. I was behaving like a very evil person. I wasn't likeable. Um, my children didn't even want to visit me in the hospital. I was just an angry, nasty, self-centred, selfish person and um, made a lot of sense that when I was in my coma and these demons that were tormenting me and giving me such a hard time, it just made a lot of sense. The reason why they knew me so well is because they'd been around me for a very, very long time. And Faith, it's very interesting that um, you mentioned Howard Storm and when I first heard your story last year, Howard's experience popped into my mind and for listeners who don't know of Howard Storm, he is um, a very high-profile near-death experiencer who had his experience in Paris 20 years ago when he fell severely ill and um, had an experience that was that has so many parallels to your experience, Faith. Absolutely. Um, with, you know, these, these demonic-type entities taunting him 
And um, it's so extraordinary. And so tell us a little bit about the way that your experience now listening to Howard Storm, because I know that you had kind of a, a, a chat with him that went on for four hours yes. recently. Yes. Tell us how that has um, affirmed your experience and how that's helped you. Okay. Yes, we did. I ended up watching, after you mentioned him last time we spoke, a YouTube video of him telling his story and the entire time I watched it, I was just crying because everything he was saying and everything, not everything, he got to see a lot more than I did, but um, it just hit me right in the heart. It was like, yes, yes. That's it, that's it. Because uh, the ugly truth is there is life after death. There is a heaven and hell. Um, It doesn't matter how you look at it. There is, I know. I've seen it firsthand. And we are surrounded by evil. We can't see them, but they are there. And they're there to influence us and try and destroy us because they want to destroy God's creation where his children They Mm -hmm. want to totally destroy us and they do it in every means possible. And the biggest way they do it is by making us believe they don't exist. The biggest trick of the devil is to make you believe he doesn't exist and there isn't a bad place because there really, really is. I guess I've tried to, like I said, process it in, in ways, trying to take the religious aspect out of it because with my upbringing and being hurt by Catholic Church, I guess I had a deep down resentment towards religion for a very long time. Sorry, Faith, why were you hurt by the Catholic Church? Well, my mother was a single mother in the 70s and she sort of found God while she was pregnant with me. And um, she she went back to the Catholic Church and I guess in the 70s being a single mother, it was not the done thing and right. she was given a hard time in the church. And I, I mean, even I was, I was even Catholic preschool, I was called a bastard on a daily basis, you know. I was treated differently by teachers. Much later in my childhood going to a Catholic school, I ended up um, sharing with um, a girlfriend who told the principal and that I was sexually abused and instead of them reporting it and investigating, I... My mother was told that I was promiscuous and that I should be checked out if I was a virgin and I was lectured in confession by our parish priest on virtue and modesty and so, yeah, they they hurt me. Yes, I also felt for a long time a resentment towards my mother because she loved God so much. I used to say to her, you love God more than me. And, you know, everything was about going to church and praying and I, I resented it and I rebelled against it and I was raised Catholic but I never listened. I mean, I've never read the Bible other than, you know, what the priest says in Mass. That's all I really knew and I sort of had a deep down resentment towards, okay, Mum, if if there is God, why would he have allowed all that horrific things to happen to me as a child? If there's a God and he's so good, why does he allow bad things to happen to good people? And the Catholic Church with pedophilia, that was just another, I was disgusted. So I guess by the time I had my um, NDE, I had no faith in God. I thought churches were corrupt, money-making organisations that hide evil and um, very resentful and did not believe in angels or demons, didn't believe in any of it. I thought it was hogwash. So to find that out when I did die, and demons are real and they hate us and they want to destroy us and they were hurting me in the most mental torture, I guess you could say, but also physical torture because they were telling me they were going to kill me so they could get my soul and take me to hell and they would show me horrific ways of how they were going to do that, which just terrorised me. I was terrorised by these demons and... um, the entire time they were trying to get me to curse God, they victimised me, which is another thing too, you know, they tend to do is make us feel like victims. Right, and, um, that, we, that make us forget we, don't, we have our free will. Exactly. Mm. So I, I was in a state of, by the time I did um, have my NDE, I, I was a complete victim. 
I believed that my bad behaviour was excused by the bad things that happened to me and um, I didn't see all the good things that were in my life and all the beautiful things that I had. I I was just total victim mentality and these demons knew. They knew how to make me be a victim. They would even, during my coma, when I call it, I felt like purgatory, but it was like it was a little taste of hell before I went to hell. They would give me flashes of horrific childhood memories of some of my worst experiences and try to make me relive it over and over where I was feeling sorry for myself and then would try to say, well, what kind of God would let that happen to you? So I would buy into their lies and their deceit and um, they did that to me right till they almost had me. You know, falling into hell was was the most terrifying thing I've ever experienced in my life. I, I couldn't even imagine the smells, the laughter, the creatures that were biting me, and I felt every single sting, every bite, every tear as I was trying to reach out for something to stop. And while I'm falling into hell, I can f- feel these demons. They're, they're a part of me because... I could see the light of God leaving me and I could feel, which was worse, the light of God leaving me. And the emptiness as this light was leaving me that was taking me over was the most loneliest emptiness feeling. That would, to me, feeling like that for eternity, and I knew it was going to be for eternity when I got there. I knew. I knew there was no way out. It was just a knowing. Um, it was it. was unbearable. This is where I get to the prayer part because I truly believe that it was my mother's prayers and my family's prayers and the prayer meetings that she had praying for me all over Facebook got me the courage and the strength for me to scream out to God because I knew when I got to that place I was just going to be evil. I was going to be one of them. I knew that. And all that hatred that was put in my heart and all that victimization and all that despair was going to be my torment for eternity. Wow. So when I say we sort of send ourselves there, we do. We send ourselves there by allowing negativity in. Some people, you can look at it as demons or negative entities, but there are negative entities that are hateful, evil beings that just want to destroy us. And the, the, light, the more light we have in us, the more they want to destroy us. I also believe that they prey on the broken. They prey on the people who have been hurt and traumatised the most because they can tap into our auras. We sort of break down because we are broken. And um, so, yeah, I believe they preyed on me all my life too. And that's why they knew me so intimately. And that's how they knew to manipulate me and what I wasn't seeing during that ex- beautiful, I mean, nightmarish experience was the beautiful guardian angel nurse coming in the room and lighting it up. And this evil, these entities couldn't be around him. And I didn't see it. I was yes. blind. I had, it was like I had shutters on. I was just more focused on them than the beauty that was around me. And then when my mum came in and would pray in her aura, I remember seeing her aura and when she'd pray, I could see it. it was almost like seeing like notes sort of thing coming out of her mouth. Musical notes. Yes, yeah. sort of like musical notes coming out. I actually saw the prayer. Wow. I wasn't just feeling it. I could see it. I still didn't click. You know what I mean? Yes. I was that. Um, Which is very much like life, as you were saying earlier, you know. we It's very easy to lose ourselves in negative oh, moments and, and despair and not see the beauty and the love that is around us in front of us. Like you say, exactly. we, we can. it's like we have blinkers on. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Absolutely. And I also, I was extremely selfish, self-centred. I guess that's another aim these demonic entities want to do. They, they make us all about ourselves rather. And life, one thing that I learned from my NDE is the most important thing that we have on this life is uh, we have in in our beings is our hearts mm-hmm. and love. Mm-hmm. 
And the only thing God really cares about is how we treat others and how we love other people and serving other people as well. That is yes. that gives you bonus points in heaven if you know how to humble yourself to serve others. Yes, and that is um, such a profound message of NDE experiences that is oh, repeated time and again as well, service. Like even during my life review, I remember seeing all the times that I would put a Christmas party on and I'd be in the kitchen cooking this beautiful meal and I would always invite friends that didn't have family to my Christmas. I always made sure there was a present under the tree and that was huge to God because wow. I was showing like just all the love that I was putting in my cooking to give my family and friends a wonderful meal and just being that those little things of thoughtfulness that you don't really think is a big deal but in heaven that was huge, right. you know, and um, I was even shown I don't even think I've told you this one, but I was shown um, ringing a friend who um, was a, a drug addict and um, inviting them over and apparently that they were thinking of committing suicide that oh. day. And you and didn't know that until your life I review. Didn't know, I didn't know until my life review. Wow. And me just ringing them in their loneliest, that just mm. that thought meant the world. I got more applause like for little things I did I didn't really see anything grand yes. that I did, yes. but the little it was the little things that matter. It's the little things that we how we treat each other in this life. You don't realize the power of it. Mm -hmm. Like just a, a little, small act of kindness can go so far. Yes. It's like almost contagious if you just do a small act of kindness. You can sort of, I guess, sort of touch someone's soul in a sense within. You've been kind to them they will start looking to be kind to others. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It sort of goes the same with negativity. Yes. The more negative you are and you're surrounded by, it just repeats the oh, cycle gosh. of negativity and it just gets worse. Faith, wow, that's all very powerful. Let's pick up now where we left off. So when we last spoke, you were coming back to your body, but things were in no way rosy. You were still very, very sick. An infection had developed uh, where one of your IV lines was and this in itself is uncanny because while you were in your coma you'd overheard one of the entities that was masquerading as a nurse say that they were actually going to put an infection in one of your lines. Is that right? Yes. And then exactly. when you woke up that was indeed the case. So That's exactly what happened. Tell us, um, tell us about that. Well, while I was in my coma, I believe I was seen in a dimension where I could see the living and the dead and what goes on behind the scenes. And I was being traumatised by two particular demon nurses. Now, I didn't realise they were demonic for a long time. I thought they were just nurses trying to hurt me who hated me, were calling me dreadful names. But they were the only two that responded to me. When I would try to talk to my mum or other nurses, they didn't hear me. Mm. There was nothing. But these were the only two that actually responded to me and they seemed really gleeful that I could hear them. And then that's when they started to torment me. Well, they were trying to get me to die. They were frustrated because they nearly had me before. My heart had stopped beating during surgery and I was a fighter. They kept saying, this bitch is a fighter. They were calling me worse names than that. Mm. But um, she, she won't let go. We need to assist in her transition. And I heard them say, let's a good way would be to inject an infection in her line. And they went to do it. They flicked the syringe coming over to inject it. I was physically trying to stop them, attack them. I ended up pulling my cords in my stomach like a hose to try and, when they did inject the infection, try and um, stop it from getting in my system. Um, apparently I was reacting during my coma to this, I was attacking nurses. Right. I was ripping out tubing. Um, they had to strap me to the bed because I was considered a violent patient. Even though I was in a coma, um, oh, yeah, but I was reacting to what I was experiencing. But I ended up getting an infection in my line, which caused me to get pneumonia, caused my lungs to collapse, and I died again. And the next time I died, that was when I, it was the bad, like when I went, I, I, I went to hell 
um, I guess you could say. Yeah. That's the only way to describe it. So at what point did you awaken back into the physical world knowing that you had had an NDE? Or, or maybe, Faith, a better question is at what point did you realise you had had a near-death experience? As soon as I opened my eyes. As soon as I opened my eyes, I looked straight up at the roof because both times I remembered floating up towards the light. The roof in the hospital, it sort of had crown crown moulding that was in the shape of a rectangle, almost the exact dimensions, sorry, yes, of a hospital bed. And as soon as I opened my eyes, I realised that the crown moulding was just there. I wasn't directly under it and I knew I'm not, because I knew then I'm not going to be going back because both times I saw the crown moulding and instantly I knew I had an MDE. It was instant. I was, could not believe I was back for a start. I remember not wanting to go back to sleep, being terrified of um, dying again and possibly the demons getting me. Even though when I came back, the last thing I remember in heaven was a celebration. The power and the trauma, I guess, that these demons, what they did to me during my coma really scared me so much that I was terrified of nurses. I would ask any nurse that would come into the room, are you a Christian? Do you believe in God? Because I didn't want them touching me. I was that afraid Mm. of possibly because these demon nurses look like regular people who tried to kill me, I was scared that they'd try again. So I, I was a little paranoid, I guess you could say, for the first week after waking up from my coma. But the first thing I did once they took out, took me off being incubated was ask for a priest. And even I was having a confession before my mum even got a chance to get to the hospital. She'd received a phone call. While she was at work, she was in a meeting at work, she said, to find out I'd woken up from my coma. And um, she rang the hospital and they said, well, she's in, your daughter's in with a priest at the moment. <laughs> and my mum my mum knew instantly from just from that alone, she knew something's happened, something yeah. de- definitely has happened. She's experienced something because she was there the second time. My heart stopped beating. She actually witnessed that. So she knows that I did die. So, yeah, that's the... I, it was the the most honest confession I've ever had because oh. I've gone through the motions of being a Christian. I guess you could say I was a superficial Christian. I said it because it made mum feel happy just in case there was a God, but I never actually meant any of it. Okay. Well, this is the first time I meant it. And I even asked this priest, I said, do you believe? Because a lot of Catholic priests don't believe in hell. They don't believe that there's a bad place. And there really is. I asked him if he did. And he said, yes, I do. And I said, well, I went there and it's for real. And so was heaven. And I said, and I need a confession because I've got a lot. I've got a lot Mm. to confess. And I was just, it was just, I was honest, just honest about everything, um, how stupid I'd been, not appreciating how lucky I really was. And it was one of the best confessions I've ever had. I, I felt good. I was good with God. But in saying that, I also, at this stage of my confession, I was still very happy. I was still in that high of being in heaven. And like I said, the high you feel in heaven is like no high you can imagine of joy. And ecstasy is the only word. Yeah. I was still very happy. And I was about to find out that my partner, my mum had broken up with him, that he... Um, on your behalf, had, broken up with him on, on your my, behalf. Yes, on yep. my behalf, and I'd forgotten about all that That's at this right. stage. So when I woke up, I thought it was still a couple, and she pretty much said, he, you know, um, I did what you asked, and I, I didn't remember telling her to do that, so I was a bit cranky at her for that. But in saying that, I'd broken up with him 100 times before, he knew I didn't mean it. So for him to do behave the way he did afterwards, which was start seeing another girl, I had to deal with all of that and also with what his sister had told me and sh- what I was shown was going to happen to him. So that was tough because I was back in my, I guess you could say, back in my human body and I was still broken. I was still a, a broken person. 
because you feel so happy and joyous in heaven, you don't have human heartbreak and suffering that we feel down here. You don't feel that. You don't feel anything awful. It's just pure joy. So I was back in my body and I was back to feeling all that horrible human heartbreak mm-hmm. and I was in for serious more heartbreak. Yes. Um, by not giving up on him like I was asked to. And that was pretty difficult, it was, because um, I felt a huge responsibility almost that he was a good guy and he didn't deserve to go there. He was a drug addict. He was broken himself. But the Matt I fell in love with was a really good man and um, he didn't deserve to go there. And that was hard to reconcile because I hated him so much at the same time because of – how much he'd hurt me and um, he wouldn't come visit me in the hospital. I mean, it, it was pretty awful during that time. Um, I was in the hospital another three weeks, I think, after I woke up from a coma. It's a long long stint, isn't it? A long stint yes, in hospital. Yes, I was hospital. in hospital three months from oh, beginning to end. It was wow, three months. Okay. And so so as you're, as you're implying, Faith, things were by no means um, settled at home no. for you. Your relationship was in turmoil. Your partner was still immersed in drug addiction and this underground oh, yes. kind of world. When we left off last time, you said you were in for another two years of hell on earth now, that oh, you've had this beautiful heavenly celebration. You've awakened. You've got this um, commitment in your heart to, to look for the good man that you knew was in there, but that was by no means going to be easy. So what was this period like for you, these two years of hell on earth? How how did it begin to unfold for you as you maybe when you left the hospital? Okay, so when I left the hospital, I we'd moved to a different suburb because I didn't want to go back to our old house because we were home invaded there. It was very traumatic experience, which I, I still, you know, struggle with. It was Will shot at. They put a gun in my son's mouth. It was it was horrific what happened in that home invasion. I didn't want to go back there and I wanted a fresh start. And so I wanted to go back to where we grew up because it was a nice place. It was just outside of where a part of Sydney where we just come from. And um Ironically, this young young girl that um, Matt was dating while I was in my coma lived two minutes up the road from our new place. So, and while the two weeks, well, actually the three weeks from when I went into a coma till I was released from hospital, actually, no, I think it was four, Matt, Matt had managed to get him to, himself in some serious debt with um, some not-so-nice people, oh. um, I mean, really bad debt. He had people after him. He had people wanting to kidnap him. He had this 19-year-old girl who's a drug addict with a daughter, a two-year-old daughter, trying to get him to move in with her. Um, and So you were plunged was, back into this world. I was plunged back yeah. into a, a nightmare. Yeah. It was a, a living nightmare. And I had to go live with him because my son was also – my youngest son was living with him and um, my youngest son hated him because during my coma and, and my worst of it, Matt was behaving badly. I mean, he had different women in my bed wearing my clothes, you know. It was just complete, absolute disrespect for me and my son witnessed all of this. Yes. and knew all of this um, but nobody wanted to tell me straight away because I was still recovering. And I was still quite weak. So when I did find out, it was via Matt, actually, um, who told me. He sort of told me and he blamed me. He's very good at that. And um, he he just said it's your fault, you know, (coughs) that I've done this. So we we ended up, I ended up sobbing like I've never cried before that night, apologising to him. I actually was apologising to him. For my actions, what I, my my actions in the breakdown of up until my surgery, because I was a pretty rotten person, Karina. I, I treated him pretty badly, so I understood why he was so angry and hurt by me. I just didn't understand how he could move on so quickly. Yes, yes. And especially when I'm fighting for my life, I yes. found that cold. But uh, I also 
had the knowledge that under the influence of drugs, you don't behave, you lose yourself, you lose your heart. He was under the influence of chemicals and that's why he behaved like a rotten person. And I had to look past it. I had to look past that and I knew I had to, to I hadn't told him about my near-death experience. I'd actually moved back home, was released from hospital and he was still on drugs. And But I know his behaviours, I know the way he is. So during this time, it was on drugs. I didn't tell him straight away. I did tell him. I think it was took two nights. He wasn't on drugs this one night. He couldn't get it. And his heart came back. And we actually had one. It was very soon after. See, the timing with my memory, trying to get the exact time, it was very soon. He wasn't on drugs when I got home. And we ended up having an amazing conversation. I told him what happened he broke down. We had a moment where we actually fell in love again and um, he wow. believed me wow. about his sister. He believed me. He was blown away by my experience and he decided to make a conscious effort to give up drugs. Wow. And I actually got him off for a good amount of time and we tried to live a normal life. But yes. while we're trying to live this normal life, we still had this idiot young girl who was damaged and I pray for her all the time now, you know, but she was damaged and very manipulative and didn't like the fact that Matt went back to me, was trying to cause havoc in my life and my partner's life, Matthew's life. She caused serious problems with Matt's children. She actually contacted them and told them disgraceful things about him that actually weren't true. She imploded with bullcrap as well. Even to this day, his relationship with his daughters is still not good and we, think, we believe that probably had a good part to do with it. But it's like you were saying, Faith, there are these ripple effects of negativity Absolutely. to deal with. So even though while you're trying to get your life back on track, taking we had solace, negative forces yes, going it, to destroy us at the same time. Because those forces have been put into action by exactly. the lives that you were living. As you, This is all what you were saying earlier about yes. it's so interesting. So even though you're taking solace in your NDE and you're trying to build a new life, you're still having to deal with those the ramifications of your earlier life. So I, I can't imagine how hard that was. So, Faith, in your NDE, you were shown that you would relapse yes. into methamphetamine addiction and you were warned. But while you were, were in heaven, you kind of brushed this off, didn't you, thinking, no way that's going to happen. Oh, I argued with them. Yeah. I totally argued. I said, there's no way. There is no way I would do that. There's no way I'd risk... I just got rescued from hell. There's no way. And I was also told that um, drugs are one of the biggest weapons that Satan has on this planet is drug addiction because it does chemically, it, it changes you, takes away your heart. That's what the devil wants. He wants us to be heartless and cold and selfish and self-centered. And it has a way of, it, it, the reason why I think broken people end up using it is because it also, it, it numbs pain it numbs yes. trauma but yes. while it's numbing trauma it's bringing different kinds of negativity and pain yes. into your life that's creating havoc on a different level because it's numbing but yourself it's, as well it's numbing, exactly as you say i love how you describe it as it, you know taking your heart away yeah yourself well, that's yeah. exactly it makes you heartless so because matt had got himself in such serious debt and he wasn't doing jobs for these underworld figures anymore he they were hounding us for money and <coughs> trying to get him to pay debts off by doing certain favors and things like that and we could never ever pay them and that that's what they do it's like a grooming process they groom you into like the power and the power i guess that comes with living in that and how fancy and how do I describe it? Um, I guess perhaps for somebody who has, you know, it, you, you've used the word broken many times and uh, maybe that is a way to prop yourself up with this kind of... Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a false sense of um, power. Right. There's nothing real about it. But it's just mm. a group. They sort of wine you and dine you and make you feel special and because they're baddies and they're friends with you, people are afraid of you. So you sort of got that fear factor. But they'll turn on you as quick as that. And yeah. that's what they did. 
we were struggling to pay them back. We ended up homeless. And I think Matt had relapsed by this stage and he was back in with them thick and mm-hmm. I was battling them like because I, I'm a very, and I think it comes from my childhood, a very strong woman and I speak my mind and if I see feel I'm being something's unjust, I will say so. I was a female I was his missus and I'm standing up to these underworld figures and women don't speak to them like that. And I was making threats, all sorts of threats. I was even threatening the police. And that is the biggest no-no you can do. So right. they were saying things to Matt like, she's going to get you killed, you, you better shut your missus up, come over looking for money, and I'd scream abuse at them and kick them out of my house and tell them they come back, I'll call the cops. And in the underworld, being a dog or a, a dobber, is lower than being a, a sex offender. Like, it is the lowest Gosh. of the low. But I was just desperate to try and get him out of it. So the only thing that got me through it was the knowledge that he's going to come good because I was shown that. That would keep me going and I would hold on to it. But I did relapse. And funny enough, when I relapsed, because he was using, he didn't seem to care. And because he didn't seem to care, I stopped caring. How long after the end of the It was about a year. So I lasted a while. Okay. It was a, about a year. I, when I relapsed, I didn't like relapse full on into addiction. I had moments of it where I would use and then I'd stop and mm-hmm. I'd use and I'd stop. Usually trying to get him to stop. And we'd have three, four months sometimes detox um, and have nothing to do with it and then back in it again. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was becoming unbelievably, I guess, frustrating yeah. because I wasn't seeing an end to it and I was sick of being homeless. We were living in motels for nearly six months at one stage. We did get a rental and with um, addiction comes gambling as mm. well. It's, they seem to go side by side and methamphetamine addiction and sex addiction right? because methamphetamines um, in heightens your sex drive like ridiculously so all a lot of negative things come with methamphetamine addiction we sort of yeah matt was also going through legal problems as well where he was looking at going to jail it was a very very stressful time me trying to get him out of it but what ended up happening was my i guess you could say the day the day i realized enough was enough um, because I would say to my children, especially my youngest one, he would say, Mom, he's never going to change. He likes the lifestyle too much. He's not going to change. You're wrong. You're wrong. He'd argue with me. Sorry, Faith, how old no. were your children at that point, your at sons? At this point, um, Eden was 19 and um, my older son was 21. Okay. Actually, it was on my eldest son's 21st birthday that I made my decision. To? To leave Matt, okay, and um, give it up and move away for the sake of my children because what ended up happening was because I missed my son's 18th birthday being on drugs, I didn't want to not remember his 21st. Mm-hmm. So I didn't use that night and I had been using mm. up until this time enough where by me not using that night I was going to physically feel the effects of withdrawal. And I did, and it makes you very, very weak, very, very sleepy, and um, you you just want to sleep. That's all you want to do. So me trying to stay straight so I remember and give my son a good night ended up ruining his night. Right. right. And I ruined it completely. Oh. Um, we ended up, my younger son, when he got very drunk, he wanted to go home, and we were coming from Sydney back to where we lived, which was a good hour drive. And in the car... Um, he was, my youngest son was speaking to his girlfriend with such contempt and such hate. And I'm listening to the words that's coming out of his mouth and I'm hearing Matt, the way Matt speaks to me. Right. And I'm hearing things that I say to Matt, my son is saying now to his girlfriend. And he's starting to get physically violent with her. And I ended up losing it. I said, get your hands off her. How dare you? And my son went insane. I think he went temporarily insane with frustration with anger 
he just wanted his mum back. He hated me. He hated me. And I could see his hatred for me and his anger for me, he was projecting on his girlfriend. So my negativity that I'd brought into his life was turning him into a negative person and he was hurting his girlfriend. Those effects, um, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, effects. And I saw this straight and I needed wow. to see this not on the under the influence of drugs. Yeah. And um, Matt tried to control him and it got physical in the car and then my son tried to jump out of the car and kill himself. And we're on a motorway and she's doing 110 and we're trying to hold Eden inside the car. And he, I, I used all my strength and we actually broke his seat trying to save him from killing himself. By the time we pulled over, he jumped out of the car and tried to run into traffic. I just started to sob and um, I was sorry. I was just sorry. I saw the damage that I'd done to my son. Um, I saw how my choices of trying to stay and save Matt, I'm losing sight of what's important. Wow. I'm making my son have to live this nightmare. And he just wanted a normal life. He would say that to me. I just want normal. Can't you just be normal? Powerful moment, Faith. What a powerful oh, moment. Painful. It was painful and I needed it. It's exactly what I needed. Mm. And I ended up going home and I cried. Um, my son, I think, passed out, thank mm. goodness. Mm. I ended up crying and I ended up listening to, because my eldest son, during some of the worst parts of our life in that world, used to write rap music and um, he used to pour his heart out in this. And I never actually listened to them. Never once. And this, I was so broken and so angry and so disgusted in myself and so aware of how what I've done in my son trying to save Matt and feeling stupid. And I actually believed, I said, Danielle, you're wrong. I'm sorry, you're wrong. He's not going to come good. And I ended up listening to my other son's music and I got to hear and feel what he went through those two years he lived with us and what he suffered and what he needed. Right. And um, that was the most powerful thing that could have happened to me because I rang my mum, I told her the truth. I said, I need to come home. I need to leave him. Um, I need to come home and get clean. Eden tried to kill himself tonight. I told her what happened. And this was in August. And she said that she's got family coming from America because my stepfather's American, and they're staying a few months, and I couldn't go until November. So th that was the longest few months of my life because during that period I knew I was leaving Matt. At the end of the day, I, I, I loved him. I didn't want him to go to that place, but I've told him. He knows. He's got yeah. that knowledge now. So it's up to him because I realised I was enabling him. Yeah. By not giving up on him, I was giving more time just to screw up. Um, maybe I should have left earlier, but I believe everything happens for a reason and God has a plan yes. because it just worked out perfectly that my mum had only recently moved up to beautiful sunny Queensland, um, right on the water, and I was going to paradise for my detox. She ended up coming down on the 3rd of November she flew down because she didn't think she was afraid I wouldn't get on that plane. And she did. She came to the house and got me. And I packed the biggest bag because I was not planning on coming back, although Matthew thought I was. And the agreement was that he was going to try and detox in Sydney, which was never going to happen. Um, not while he's in that life still. You know, we we're going to get on with that. Maybe I think I was up there a week and I ended it with him while I was up there. I wrote him a, a big, long message. I couldn't speak to him on the phone because he was on drugs. You can't get through to people who are on drugs. Yes. They don't hear you. It doesn't matter what you say. They just don't hear you. So I just said, you're dangerous to, for my sobriety. I said, I'm going to die. I cannot use. I have it <laughs> two years since yeah. my heart surgery and I'd relapsed and I'm risking damaging my heart further I just said you're dangerous to my sobriety you're dangerous to my life I love you but I need to love you from a distance and I'll pray for you and he booked a flight up he said no I'm coming up I'm coming up to detox we're doing it together and mm. he did and my mum 
funny enough because she really, if she had one wish, it would have been that I left him years <laughs> earlier and never have moved back with him after my surgery. I mean, she's very religious, but she even questioned my NDE when it said don't give up on Matt because she saw him as a lost cause. But she also could see that there was a powerful connection with us and that if I loved him and I, I put myself through that for him and God loves him that much to show me that, he's worth it. So she said, yeah, bring him up, let him come up, I'll help you both, we'll, we'll do this. Wow, and, sounds like um, an, you've got an amazing mum there. Oh, my mother's she's a saint in my eyes. She saved my soul with her prayers. Mm. I tell you, she did. I thanked her profusely when I woke up from my coma. I caught she's an angel and God loves her so much. She really is with her prayers and she never gave up on me. She's an incredible yeah. woman and such a loving woman and she really is the kind of person that practice what she preaches, yes. you know, like as mad as she was. I, I'm her daughter and she sees this man as destroying me, but she looked past it, saw him as a damaged man too who needed help. Mm. And she offered her love and that was the best thing she could have done for him because it just motivated him to want to be a better person. It really did, that love and that forgiveness, you know. I, I don't hold anything that he's done against me, to me, against him because that wasn't him. It was the drugs. So your lives are very different today, aren't they, Faith? Oh, gosh. Very different. We ended up, we realised um, we had to move. We couldn't go back to living where we were. That's just something you have to do to get away from that. We, we settled on a location and we actually, we made it happen with the support of our families. We moved very quickly. I think it was six weeks. Okay. Within a six-week period um, packing up, getting a place and moving, we did it. My youngest son followed. We have an amazing life at the moment. That's it's so been great. We've been clean nearly three years. He has an amazing job he loves. That's great. He's actually running a marathon next month, oh, the Gold wow. Coast Marathon. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, he's just <laughs> done a weight loss challenge. He's <laughs> turned into a health nut. He's just in the health mm-hmm. and body and he said to me the other day, he said, you know, if I die now, I'll die the happiest man in the world. I said, why? He said, I, I have a job I love. I have the most amazing partner who's a gourmet chef. He said, I have my children back. I have my family. He said, I, if I die now, I'll die happy. My life is perfect. We're, we are so humbly blessed. I mean, we're not rich by any means, but we're rich in love like our our lives are so rich in love and rich in joy that every day is just awesome you know um that's wonderful we wouldn't change change our lives for anything right now not for anything we and he he not only came good like she said but he he's made me so happy everything he does is for me everything he does is for me i mean uh i never thought anyone could love me like that even my mum said to me he did have to go to jail for a month um, after we moved and got on with our lives for previous crimes, which was great for him because mm-hmm. I do believe we need to pay our dues in life mm-hmm. and I feel for the bad things we d- we've done, I feel I paid my dues with my, my health, my heart. He needed to pay his and um, what was I saying? So, yeah, he did your have mom, to go. Your mum said something to you, you said. My mum... Oh yeah, when he was in when he was in jail, he wrote everyone a letter. And yes, he did. He he wrote his children, his ex-wife, who is an, an incredible woman, the mother of his child. I mean, she's a phenomenal lady. Um, so that's that ring. Know. That's a theme of your story as well. That these people around us that support us, and in your case, and in your partner's case, that even extends to the afterlife because oh, absolutely. your partner's absolutely. sister was there barracking for him, really, for him. and she hadn't That's given happened. up. It's an amazing message of, of what we can be for each other and Chunk how we can draw out the best of each other. Exactly. You know? And absolutely. it's not easy. It's not easy. You oh, had to no. go through a lot before you got to the man that, but to Danielle the showed you said yeah. he he would become exactly um and it was but it kept me going my belief in Danielle kept me going mm. through that two years I mean but I think my love for my children was a little more powerful 
you know, because I just I couldn't imagine my son turning into Matt yes. or drug addict Matt. And see, my son couldn't really differentiate the two. He he does now. Him yes. and Matt are besties. That's like they so are well. best mates. I, I mean, he buys Matt birthday gig. Matt gets better birthday gifts than I do. Okay, <laughs> and he hated Matthew's guts. But he gets it now. He gets it. And um, his relationship with his girlfriend is modelled by ours now. And they're just in love and all over each other. It's beautiful to watch. And it's like um, the way Matt and I behave and interact with each other, our children are watching and interacting Mm. with each other. It's the same when we're negative, you know. And that's negative negativity breeds negativity and infects it infects everybody but yes um our family we've got an amazing family Matthew's parents are the most incredible people his ex-wife is an awesome phenomenal woman I know he put us through hell because he's put me through hell so we're bonded there um he's got gorgeous children and we really are one big happy family and the thing is when we get when we get to heaven we're going to be a huge family up there, and that's that. I know. I it's, know that. Faith, it's an amazing, such an amazing story of transformation in the, this physical world. Like lives transformed, utterly transformed. It's wonderful to hear you describe the way your life is now, and um, how those ripple effects of love are now spreading out. Yes, you know, it's yes. just beautiful. So what? Do you have a dream for the future? I know you're working on your book. I do. I would really like to um, – I've done a diploma in community services. I'd really like to talk to youth mm. about drug addiction, actually. Um, I feel I've got a lot of knowledge. I feel also a lot of young people, they get um, seduced by the lifestyle, you know, like the underworld elements now. It's not like – bikies in the old days it's all you know gym junkies and tattoos and nice cars and boats and money and um they can get young people can get seduced by that like Matthew and I were seduced by that lifestyle it was very glamorous that was what I was looking for before like the glamorous side of it it could be glamorous but that's just the side they show you briefly but that's not what it's about it's very ugly it's very evil and um, violent You've got some incredible life experience oh, to bring to absolutely. these young people that might be vulnerable to that, and what an amazing you know life path that would be. So, so you're going to pursue that? I'm going to. I'm going Great. to definitely look into Great. doing that. I think um, just to give a perspective, also of being a victim of childhood sexual assault yes. and sexual abuse, and I, I do know being in that drug world for as long as I was that a lot of people in that world are broken people and are damaged people I think that the stigma associated with addiction needs to go I -hmm. think people are very judgmental a lot of people won't get help including me because of that stigma Mm -hmm. being judged or treated badly I was treated badly really badly by some of the staff at the hospital and I would see the way they treated me before they would read my paperwork and then afterwards would be very, very different. And it would make me feel very shameful. Yes. And um, I didn't need to feel I didn't need to feel any more shame. I'd felt enough. I think people need to be educated a lot more on addiction and also on how it chemically changes you. Mm. You can't hold the addict the addiction against the person because it's not who they are. I mean I I don't even – I find it hard to believe I've done the things I've done. I used to be that person. So more, more so compassion. Far from who I am. So far from who you are. Yes, exactly. I was just saying so yes. it, it would appear that more compassion is necessary here. Absolutely. Less judgment, more compassion. More compassion. Yeah. It, it yeah. would go a long way. Oh, wow. And it's funny, even recently with some health issues I've had at the hospital up here, I would tell them, you know, because they'd ask me about my surgery and I'd say I had a near-death experience and it changed my life and I'm an ex-addict. They really wanted to know my story and they'd really? get chills oh. and they'd say, really? Oh, that makes, gee, that's amazing because I don't look like one either. I don't have the um, physical appearance of, I guess, what people, I, I'm a, a round peg in a square hole, as Matt would call it. You'd never pick me yes. to be an ex-addict. 
they always get really surprised by that. But mm. I, I do. I said it changed my life. Mm. And, um, you know, I actually some staff up here congratulated me. And I said, thank you. That means the world because I don't get that often. If I say it to people, I'm an ex-addict, you know, I get treated differently. You should do that more often because that made me feel really good. That's and they said, really? But, yeah, we should be congratulated because it's not easy. It's not easy to give up drugs, especially if you are damaged and if you've got pain because it is so good at numbing and numbing and dumbing that pain. You sort of, um, you, you, you can't really see living without it. Do you understand? Yes, yes, I do. Sort of becomes your whole world. I, I can see that and from listening to your story that, that truly is clear, Faith. So to, to finish up today, what would you say, Faith, is the key message or takeaway or takeaways from your NDE? What is the most important thing that you want our listeners to, to know? Okay, that there is a heaven and there is a hell, that there are guardian angels all around us wanting to help us, and if you ask them, they will, and they can, and we have to give them, we have to ask. We've got free will, and we need to use that free will for the good. That we, um, that the key to get into heaven is pretty simple, actually. It doesn't matter what religion you are. You could be atheist, Buddhist, Muslim. The key to getting into heaven is simple acts of kindness. That's pretty much it. Wow. And if you do a lot of acts of kindness and you, you smile at a stranger and you treat people the way you want to be treated, or I try to look at people, even people, strangers in the street like family, because that's mm. how I view them. I view them, I'm going to know them in heaven one day. And we are all a family up there. So I try to treat other people like they're my family with the same love that I'd give to my children. And that's what makes God happy. And that's what, the more you do that, it spreads. It's infectious. Mm. The power of prayer, that's another big okay. one. Prayer is hugely powerful. And it's one thing that we've got against um, the evil one. And I'm calling him the evil one because that's what he is. He hates prayer and it is powerful. And it can save souls. It can save you. It saved me. I mean, I was almost there, almost there. They almost had me, and the the prayers is what lifted me up and got got my soul up to heaven. And um, heaven's also sorry, <laughs> that's okay. Thought I turned that off. <laughs> heaven's also um, a place of learning and a place of growing, and it's there's it's different levels, but we go there to learn and to get closer to God and to get grace. I think that's I think that's pretty much that's pretty much I think it. But yeah, just simple acts of kindness. That's what matters. That's what's important. It's it's an incredibly simple takeaway from a very multi-layered and complicated in many respects experience that encompasses you know, the depths yeah. of, of evil to the, the heights of beauty. So thank you so much, Faith, for sharing your story with us over these thank two you. episodes. It's been... Thank you so much. Oh, Thanks, Karina. It's thank our pleasure. You, you know, if and when your book comes out, we'll be looking forward to that and perhaps we can talk again at that point. And oh, that would be wonderful. Yeah, I'd so love that. Wishing you all the very best, Faith. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Spirit Sisters, the podcast, based on my best-selling book of the same name. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and will join me again next time for another intriguing conversation exploring mysteries and marvels. In the meantime, please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. I also welcome your feedback, so please message me through my website, karinamachado.com, or find me on Facebook at Karina Machado Author. Perhaps you have your own encounter to share. If so, I'd love to hear it. After all, there's nothing more powerful than a story. Thank you.